here today is where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. It's mentioned twice in the context of the Lord's Prayer, and I want to focus and concentrate on that today. Chapter 6 and verse 5, we're going to come back. We did this whole section in three parts last week, but today we want to really hone in on one section, and that's the praying aspect. Jesus is telling us that in chapter 6, there are ways to live out personal piety that demonstrates that we have the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees that he denoted in 520 of this sermon that you had to have if you're to enter the kingdom. So what does it look like when you have an inside-out righteousness? He says, well, your giving will be different, and your praying will be different, and your fasting will be different. So we didn't cover the Lord's Prayer entirely. We just talked about prayer as one of those aspects last week. But we want to go back and touch on a little more in particular. So let me read it for you. In verse 7, Matthew 6 and verse 7. And when you pray, now notice that's identical to verse 5. They both start out with that phrase, and when you pray, because Jesus is expecting his followers to be people who pray. So it's not if you pray, but when you pray. All right? And he said that at the beginning, and when you give, see verse 2. And then back in verse 16, he says, and when you fast. So he expects us to be doing these types of disciplines in our life. He expects us to be giving to the poor. He expects us to be praying. He expects us to be fasting. Those are just things that Jesus expects. So he's not trying to argue for them. He's arguing that when you do them, this is how you should do them. So when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, in the three examples he gave of giving and praying and fasting, the contrast and all three of them were between followers of Jesus and hypocrites. And he says that in verse 2 and verse 5 and in verse 6. He says, don't do it like the hypocrites do. And in Jesus' sermon, hypocrite is not what we normally think of. It's not the person we typically think of who says one thing and does another. That's a kind of hypocrite. But that's not the kind of Jesus is referring to. In this sermon, a hypocrite is someone who does all the right things on the outside but doesn't have the right heart and attitude on the inside. That's what makes it a Pharisee righteousness. Because all the Pharisees and religious leaders, they did all the right things. But they didn't do it from the right heart, and therefore you needed some righteousness greater than that. So he says, when you pray, don't heap up, not like the hypocrites this time, but similar. He says, don't do it like the Gentiles do. Gentiles were religious people, but they didn't know God. They're lost people. So the sermon is not between a comparison between two types of Christians. No, this is a comparison between Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians being described as hypocrites and pagans or Gentiles. Notice what, and I'll, I'll say all about this this morning, so I won't spend much time here. Now, they have this relationship, and here's how they think prayer works. Gentiles pray this way, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So what do they do? They heap up empty phrases. In other words, they think if I just pray the same thing over and over again, that I pray it enough, even though my heart's not there and I don't have a relationship with God, if I just pray it over and over and over and over and over again, like, I hate to say, 
Catholics would say Hail Mary or our, this prayer over and over again, thinking if I say it so many times and repeat it, that God is more likely to hear me. And it says, and there are many words. Kind of reminds you, I'm going to say it this morning. Remember on the Mount Carmel and Elijah versus the prophets of Baal? What did they do for hours? Oh, they jumped up and down and said the same thing over and over again. And all these words, and they cut themselves. You know why? Because they have to perform. And Gentiles, pagan people who don't really know God, they feel they have to perform to get an answer to prayer. He says, don't be like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't pray like this. See, here's the contrast. But instead, pray like this. And that's what you need to read that context in your mind when you think about the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that only people who are God's children pray. That's why it starts with our Father. So it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Set apart, sanctified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first half of it, like the Ten Commandments, is vertical. Talks about God and how great he is. And and then the second half, is a horizontal about requests for the things that you need in life. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's the one I want to focus on because it concludes this section too. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he finishes with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now watch, this is... (laughs) Jesus says some pretty strong words that, if you're not ready for them, kind of blow you out of the water a little bit. So if I asked you before we read the next two verses, because you probably already have read them, if I asked you how important it is, is it to be willing to forgive others? You'd probably say, well, pretty important. What if I told you that wasn't good enough? What if I told you that wasn't strong enough? Here's what Jesus says about the importance of You forgiving others. Ready? And these two verses, 14 and 15, are introduced by two little phrases, if phrases. Make some conditional phrases. And what he's going to try to say is if this one is true, then the other one is going to be true. All right? So read them in that light. Let me read it for you. For if you forgive others their trespasses. So if you're forgiving people on a horizontal level... Right? What also will be true? Well, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if you do this forgiveness, then you'll get this forgiveness. All right? But the hard part is what's converse of that. Verse 15, the second if clause, see it? But in contrast, if you do not forgive others their trespasses. So if you don't do this, there's, if there's an ongoing lifestyle of unforgiveness to other people on this level. Here's what he says, ready? Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Wow. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Here's why. If you want to write it down. Because God's forgiveness is underneath our forgiveness. And by that I mean this, that his forgiveness of us vertically between you and God, see, it creates our ability to forgive others. It supports it. All right? Hold your finger here 
And I want to show you a little different vantage on same concept in the New Testament. You probably know these verses. Let me look at, can I have you turn to Ephesians 4 first? Can anyone quote the verse I'm going to? This would not give you the gift of prophecy, but you might think of it. What's the famous verse in Ephesians on forgiveness? Come on. Yes. You know it by heart? I'm putting the pressure on you. Good, good. Be kind. There it is, 432. Ready? Be kind to one another. Now, now, now watch this, please. This is what makes it an inside-out righteousness. He did not just start out in verse 32 and say, hey, forgive one another. He didn't say that, did he? Right? What does he say? Well, he wants to tell you what the forgiveness will look like and where it comes from. So he says, be kind to one another. So this is a forgiveness not because I have to. Remember when you were growing up and you, you, you and your, your sibling got in trouble because you were mean to each other? My parents always trying to teach me things. I did the same thing. And so I told Lance and Will, who were as opposite as night and day, who were always in trouble. Lance could never sit down and never be quiet. Right? So he was, they were always conflict with each other. Right? So Lance would do something, take something, and it was usually Lance. You can tell him I said that. <laughs> um, so they were in trouble all the time that way. So I would say, Lance, did you take his? Yes. Now, BJ would be crying. Lance would be sitting there. So I said, was it wrong? Yes. Okay, ask your brother to forgive you. BJ, will you forgive me? Well, there was no kindness in that statement, right? Tender-hearted. I go, Lance. I said, you said you understood why I was wrong. I do. <laughs> you know? I said, well, you need to act like it. All right. Then he, then he kind of like a little bit, he, oh, oh, all right, BJ, I'm sorry. I'm going to beat you up later, but I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? But, you know, that's what, that's, see, this is the difference. So it's the kindness. See, be kind one to another, he says. And then he says, tender-hearted. Oh, see, there is emotion in it. There is a feelings aspect of it. We're not ruled by it. It's not the center of us. But it is generated, right? There's a compassion to it. There's a, I want to forgive you with it. And what, now, see, now where do you get that? We'll look at the rest of the verse. And the first word, the little, see, as, see it? As God in Christ forgave you. Imagine this scene in heaven, ready? God and Jesus are talking about the plan of redemption. And God the Father says to Jesus, hey, are all the human beings that we created sinners? Jesus goes, yes. I want you to go down and die for them. Really? You know, they need, your, they need you to die for them to cover the sins. I know. Okay, why would that be a problem? Did he still come? Yes. Did he still die? What's missing? Mm, there's no kindness. 
There's no tenderheartedness. You read Titus 3 sometime. It says that you should remember the kindness of God our Savior. Kindness. Oh, there's a tenderheartedness that God has. It's seen when the prodigal son's father sees him coming down the road. and He doesn't wait. He picks up his loins, so to speak, and he runs, which elderly rich men didn't do very often. But he doesn't care what anyone else thinks because his wicked son is home. See, that's God. See, he's got a compassion, a tenderheartedness. Now, now, turn over a couple more pages to Colossians 3.13. This is very similar stuff. And verse 13 goes into forgiveness, but watch the introduction. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. See that? See, I'm going to tell you today, forgiveness is an identity marker. Forgiveness is an outward expression of our spiritual DNA that we are in God's family. So when you hear me today talk about the Lord's Prayer, it is not just so you can learn techniques or methodologies about praying so you have a better chance of being heard and getting what you want. No, true prayer comes out of a relationship. See, here's what he says. He's going to talk to you about forgiveness and all that goes with it. But he wants you to know this. It's what's true of God's chosen ones. People who have been set apart by him and are loved by, see, beloved. If you have been set apart by God and he loves you, then it'll show up Then you love others. So he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who you are. See, who you are will determine how you live. So the good chance is if you don't live right, it's because it's who you are. Holy and beloved, see, ready? Compassionate hearts, tenderhearted. Kindness, they're the, both of them again, side by side. Humility, meekness, patience. Now we get into the horizontal one another ones, ready? Bearing with one another. In other words, I put up with it. This is probably the greatest trait of my wife. She bears with me, puts up with me. And if one has a complaint against another, see, listen, listen to this. So forgiveness is in the context of what? People that you have to be patient with and, and, and kind of are a burden to you, right? That's, that's the idea. So forgiveness isn't something that happens on small little scale of someone that you love and it's not a big deal. No, that, here's what he's saying. You know what forgiveness is really measured when it's measured? It's when people really get on your last nerve over and over again and you've got to put up with them all the time. He says, that's what I'm talking about. If you give each other, and, and see the little model, paradigm, pattern, as, same as Ephesians, the Lord has forgiven you, puts the imperative in it, so, he says, you also must forgive. See that? So if you have been forgiven this way, you have to forgive this way. It is not optional in the Bible. So I put number one, if you were doing an outline in my science school, I would say number one, forgiveness is 
relational. Relational meaning what? That it comes from a relationship with the Father. God is your Father. So in our text, going back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, the prayer starts, Our Father in heaven. And if he's your Father in heaven, what will you pray? You will pray that God will help you forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And they're connected. And you will pray because you know what's at stake in it. So it's relational. It's an identity marker. Hold your finger in Matthew 6 and again turn to Matthew 18. Peter's going to ask a really cool question and Jesus is going to tell a story. Which, by the way, is incredibly helpful. Jesus rarely talks about answering people's questions and theologies about the kingdom and God with didactic teaching. Paul does a lot of that. But Jesus puts principles into stories. And I want you to watch this. Ready? When you read this story, read it and see what the approach is. Why the forgiveness in one place and why the lack of it in the other So let me tell you Peter's question in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Have you ever asked that question on the inside, but maybe never outside? Peter thinks he's being pretty liberal and generous. And as many as seven times, I mean, the standard was three. Three was you get strike one, strike two, strike three. That was the rabbinic conclusion. Peter doubles it or beyond. And seven times he thinks, wow, I'm really good stuff. Until Jesus answers him, which is true for most of us, isn't it? I don't say to you seven times, but wow, I must have blown him out of the water. Seventy times, seventy-seven times. Seventy-seven times. Peter would have been, what? Seventy-seven? And then it's not meant to say, hey, on number 78, you can cut him off. The idea is always forgive. Now, here's the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, so what we're talking about in Matthew 6, this is the kingdom prayer. This is how you pray if you're in the kingdom. And Jesus wants to say, by the way, and here's how you forgive if you're in the kingdom, if you are. It may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. An equivalent of American U.S. Currency, it'd be millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, lots of millions. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And that was the way you handled debt. You would be sold, and if the debt was big enough, your wife and kids would be sold into slavery. It's kind of a work it off for the rest of your life type thing. Not that you were sold into slavery and whatever you were worth, they gave you money. No, You were sold into slavery for so much money, and then you continued the rest of your life to work at it. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. The word is begging him. Remember this. Ready? Remember how he does. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything, which is a complete joke because he never would. The idea in the story that Jesus makes is the debt is so large that he would never, ever pay it off, but he promises things he can't keep because that's what you do when you're desperate, especially when your wife and kids are involved, right? And watch this. And out of 
pity for him. And the word is the same as compassion or to have mercy. It's used at the very back end of the story when he says, and you should have had mercy on your fellow servant, verse 33, as I had on you. Mercy. It's the word mercy. So the guy begs him for mercy. And the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was the one day's wages. Right? So, to, you know, I guess we'd say minimum wage. So we're talking a hundred of them. So we're talking three, a few hundred dollars in comparison to tens of millions of dollars. Not even comparable, right? So and he seizes this guy who owes him a infinitely small amount comparison. He began to choke him. I mean, he takes him by the neck and is choking him. You imagine jacks him up against the wall or something, right? Pay what you owe. So it's self, just this is like deja vu. It should be. So his servant fell down and pleaded, begged him. Same thing. Have patience with me, and I will repay you. And it's the same identical words. And Jesus is once. So you, you think the story is going to go like this? Well, the guy is going to remember all that was this whole scenario that he was on the other end of it, and he's going to forgive him, right? If that's what you're going to think, because that would be anyone who had a conscience would do, right? But he refused. And he went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, all, all the buddies he has sees what he's done, and it, it doesn't sit well with them. And so they report him to the master. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And that's an understatement. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, watch this. You wicked servant. So this isn't between two people who are on the same link. You're, you're wicked. You don't even know the master. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Not, by the way, not because you could pay it back, but because you wanted me to show mercy, and I did. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now, now listen to the last two verses because... It reinforces what Jesus says back in Matthew 6, and it says it as strong as you can say it. In fact, it's not even very nice. And in anger, keep that in mind, and in anger, so when you're not willing to forgive other people, and you claim that God has forgiven you, and that's the practice that you have, God's response to that is anger. His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which would be never. And the conclusion Jesus says to the story is, ready? So also, ready? My heavenly Father will do to every one of you. What will he do? And by the way, in the Greek, the word jailers is literally the word torturers. And other versions have the word tortures in there. It's just not a very nice thing to hear. But it wasn't like jailers and, hey, here's the cell, I have the key. No, these were people who tortured you, punished you, okay? So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. What? If you do not forgive, see, listen, your brother, see, put it together in the verse, my heavenly Father, 
your brother, and then he says this, from your heart. See, that's what Jesus, that's the righteousness. He doesn't say go through the motions. He doesn't say just mouth the words. No, he says, if you're part of my family, I'm your father, this is your brother, then you have the kind of forgiveness that I showed to you when you weren't in my family. See, these guys are in your family. So you can't have me show you forgiveness when you weren't even in my family yet, and these are already in your family, and you won't? He goes, you're not my child. He says, you're people that are going to be punished. He says, you know what the problem is? Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. It is. It's that simple. So, it's, number one, forgiveness is relational. And here's what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you never get angry at sin because the master did. And forgiveness does not mean that <clears throat> there aren't consequences for wrongdoing. I don't know about you growing up, but when my boys or don't think Mackenzie never got in trouble because she did. But Lance got in so much trouble that neither one of them can compare. Um, but you get in trouble, and my kids would cry. And, and, and I don't know if you, if you had your kids do this before, but my, my kids knew that certain things that you did, you were going to get a spanking. So we had a whole procedure that we went through, right? And so my kids found out that it was better for them, or so they thought, that if they started crying before the spanking and asked my forgiveness that that would work on me, right? Okay, Lance had no hope because he couldn't even fake anything. But Mackenzie would go, Dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she'd cry and stuff like that. And i go, I am so sorry too. And I would give her a hug and she'd cry and I'd tell her, I'm so, you know, I said, she goes, and she'd feel better and she'd kind of pull away from me after i give her a hug and she'd start to cheer up a little bit. I said, you're still going to have to have a spanking. What? What happened? Well, because, what? Forgiveness doesn't wipe out consequences, right? But there are times that there are mercy, right? So there are times where I took away the consequences that time. Not often, but once in a while, right? I even had my wife one time, and don't ever practice this because I wouldn't set you. I told my wife, I said, you know what? If we're going to spank our children, then we need to make sure we're doing it right and test it. So I said, here's, here's the paddle that we're going to use, and I'm going to lay over the bed, and you're going to try it on me so I know how hard to work this thing. That was a mistake. <laughs> and my wife had to ask forgiveness from me after that. No. But, you know, we had to try it out, right? But, you know, we want to make sure that our kids are being punished correctly, right? Justly, not out of anger. Although there was anger at times, but that's not when the punishment is carried out. So you can be angry and still forgive. There are consequences, and you still forgive. And that happens with God. So most of all, or first of all, forgiveness is relational. That's why Father is mentioned ten times in this text, in chapter 6 of Matthew. In this section, 1 through 21, ten times out of 17, In the sermon, here it is, Father, our Father, our Father. My put, secondly, and I've mentioned it a little bit, but let me say number two, is not only 
Is forgiveness relational? It's reciprocal. Forgiveness is reciprocal. And I had those texts that we had earlier. We read Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 and this one because I wanted to put them all together because I want you to see the connection, if you haven't already, between the vertical and the horizontal. If you read, and I would encourage you to do so, 1 John is a great text in the New Testament to see for sure whether you're a Christian. And in it are filled with all kinds of tests, as it were, and all kinds of if clauses, like the ones we've read today. If you do this, then this will be true. But if you don't, then this will be true. And, and they're all throughout 1 John. I told someone to read 1 John a few months ago about the assurance of their salvation, and they were very excited about it until about a month into it, and they said, yeah, I'm not sure I want to read this anymore because that's not helping me. And because the if clauses will get to you, right? And there's many of them. And in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, in particular, the horizontal and the vertical are connected. And here's it says, hereby, here's, hereby we know that we know God, right? And you think it's going to be something like, you know God, and here's how you can know that you know God, because you believe this, or you do this for him, or you worship him, or, and you think it's going to be, here's how you know God, do this for God. And it isn't. In fact, the craziest thing about the New Testament is that it is not often that. In fact, more often, by far, it is not that statement. It is not this for God vertically, because you do this for God vertically. It's not that. And then throughout the New Testament, and these included First John and maybe above all else, the vertical is always measured by the, the horizontal. Case in point, if you love God, you can't hate your brother. He says, if you hate your brother, or you are in darkness, even until now. He says, here's the difference. Read 1 John 3 for yourself. Here's the difference between those who are of God's children and the children of the devil, he says. Of the devil. He says, here's the DNA marker. It's how you love and treat other people. He says, listen, if you can see someone, read chapter 3 again. He says, if you see someone destitute of daily food and you don't do anything, how does the love of God dwell in you, he says. It doesn't, is the idea, right? And so it's reciprocal. And in our text, it says, going back to Matthew 6, if you would, for if you forgive others, no, no, can I just point it out to you and when you write, read the Bible, that's why you've got to read the same thing over and over again because the more you read it, day after day, more things pop out to you. Now, if I was writing it, I would have written it differently and I would have started with the other forgiveness that God gives you. But it doesn't. The first if clause in verse 14 is if you forgive others. So in other words, it makes it sound like this. My forgiveness of God vertically is contingent on my forgiveness of others horizontally. And it doesn't just sound that way, it is that way. So he wants you to know, if you forgive others, now, what Jesus is not saying, what the Apostle Paul is not saying, that if you want vertical forgiveness, here's how you can earn it, here's how you merit it, then you go around forgiving other people. No, 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 no. You don't earn it. To, you don't do it to get it. You do it because you already have it. Remember what I told you earlier? Let's go back to it. Forgiveness vertically between you and God is the foundation. It's what's underneath. It what creates and supports in you the ability to 
Forgive others. And so I would say it this way. Family forgives. Family forgives. It might be true in your family. I don't know if it's true. But I've talked to many people who it is. That they have family members that, can I just say it nicely, not good people. They're just not. Not not even just from a Christian standpoint. I mean, that being true also. But just in a generic human there are people in certain people's families that, for various reasons, and usually they're multiple ones, they don't get along, they're cruel, mean, harsh, ungodly, selfish, I mean, and it comes out in a ton of different ways. And I've talked to people, and maybe you have a family member who's kind of like that, but here's the thing. They can be really bad and kind of off in the deep end, and things are really out there in their lives. But in the end, what's still true? Their family, right? So it's not because their family, you overlook everything or act as if it doesn't exist or just tolerate it. Certainly not. We've already talked about there's anger and there's consequences, right? But in the end, what are they still? Family. Now, my sister growing up was rebellious in a lot of ways. And eventually my parents had to have asked her to leave the house. But that was their daughter. And she went to Texas and lived with my grandparents and eventually got her life straightened out. But my sister was rebellious and she was disobedient and, and all those types of things. But one thing my parents never did was stop what? Stop loving her. They didn't send her a letter and say, hey, I revoke your membership in this family. They didn't. You know why? Because your family doesn't mean you don't speak up, doesn't mean you don't like it, and sometimes things aren't as close. But what? But you're still family. Now, listen, that's not true of anybody, right? You have people that you know, and if they're like that person, what would you normally do? See ya, right? You're not going to be close to them. You're probably not going to want to be around them as much, right? If they're acting like that and that's their lifestyle, I'm not having you, you know, say, hey, wow, look at that ungodly person. Look how bad off they are. Let's have them come over and live with us so they can impact my children while they grow up. You don't do that, right? But what if you have one that's in your home? You have to act on it and do certain things. But, you know, guess what? There's a different relationship working there. Isn't that true? And here's what Jesus says. Oh, we forgive because we're family. That's what we do. And he says, and here's how you have to go about it. You have to do it like I did for you, he says. How I did for you. Remember when you didn't deserve it? In fact, Romans 5 says, remember when you were ungodly? That's the verse, first one, verse 6. And then he says, remember when you were what? God demonstrated you were still a sinner. And then in verse 10 he says, you were enemies. So ungodly, sinners, enemies. He said, remember when you were all those things and remember that I loved you anyways? And by the way, that was before you became family. And then you became family. So another dynamic is working. And so if I, as your God, have 
loved you enough to send my son who died on the cross for you and brought you into my family and adopted you as my child, and I would do all that for you, then you better take a look in the mirror. Because every time you think that you can hold out on forgiveness and you can be bitter and hold grudges, you have another thing coming. Because why? Because if you're in my family, there's nobody that you shouldn't forgive because they don't come close to what I've forgiven you. Not even close, he says. So, biblically speaking, forgiveness is relational. Forgiveness is reciprocal. It means the vertical and the horizontal. God does it to you. You do it to others. That's the reciprocity of it. So we'd say this. Forgiveness is a two-way street. Not just between you and God one way, but you and others both ways have to be true if you are expressing and demonstrating that you're his child. Last one, and the hardest one, and I would say, and I'll close with this, is that it's relational, it's reciprocal, and it's required. Because he says, if you don't, then you won't get the vertical part. He says in Matthew, he says, you must forgive Colossians 3, 13. You must forgive, he says. And if you don't do it, and he doesn't say just, again, he doesn't just say, hey, you have to do it. He says you have to do it from your heart. Now, is that hard or what? I mean, he doesn't just want you to say, you know what, I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with God. So let me just say the right words and I forget. No, he says, not interested in it. Not interested in your externalism. I don't want your outward conformity. I want you to have the heart that I had when I forgave you. That's the heart you need to have when you forgive others. See, he's, see you know why? He's asking you to do something. No, he's telling you to do something that without him you could not do. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he says, hey, don't just lust after women. Don't lust after them in your heart. And he's going to say at the end of this section, he says, here's what you do. Treasure up things in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your... Yeah, he's beating us. Here's what he says. If you're in my kingdom, anybody can staple on to the outside all the things that look right and are right. I can staple on kindness. I, I mean, I can, staple, can, I can staple on prayer and giving. If I can do those things, I can give to a charity. I can go without food if I had to. People do it all the time for causes. But Jesus says, my kingdom, my family, well, they're different from the inside out, not just on the outside. He says, it's required. Why? Because that's my family, he says. And so we begin to wonder how the, guy, how the Amish people can forgive it when the guy walks into their school and shoots 10 children. And we read stories of Eli Weissel, who was a Holocaust survivor. And he gave up on God in Auschwitz. You know why? Because how could God allow this to happen? Problem is, is he stopped looking at the cross because he didn't believe in it. Say, how in the world, Pastor Walker, could I ever forgive someone like that? You need to look at the cross. You know why? Because that's how. That's how. 
That's what he gave, that's what he forgave you, right? Psalmist says, Lord, if you would mark iniquities, who would be able to stand? And then the next phrase is, but there is forgiveness with you that you should be feared. Oh, God, if you took account of all my sins, how could I ever stand before? I couldn't stand before you. I'd never make it in the judgment. He says, but there's forgiveness with you that you should be feared. So God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. I have cast them behind my back. I have buried them in the depths of the sea. Those are all phrases God uses about your sins. What about you and me? Have you cast any of them behind your back lately? Not in the depths of the sea because they're sitting there on the surface because I'm looking at them all the time. See, God says, from your heart. And Jesus wants us to come to the realization today, and I hope that you'll let the words get into your heart today because he's not saying, oh, I should forgive more, so let me change that. No. What he's looking for is your heart. Give him your heart. So I don't know what it means. I don't know if that means people have to make phone calls and visits to people that they're still angry at. I told the story before, but I'll close with it. When I first came to Hamilton, my car broke down. And so I took it over to the dealership, and they were going to keep it overnight. So they gave me a ride back to the church in a vehicle from a van or something, I believe it was. So I started a conversation up with this guy, and he's been working this place forever. And I was talking about his life. I don't know how he got up. I tried to get to the conversation to Jesus. And we talked about, oh, yeah. And he told me a story about his life and says, you know what? I said, where do you go? That's what it was. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, I don't go to church. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I haven't gone to church in 30 years. I said, why? Because the pastor said something. I didn't like it. And I will never forgive him for it. And I thought at first, before I asked him the next question, I go, how long ago was that? I, I thought he was going to say like, you know, months, a year, maybe 30 years ago, 30 years ago, the guy was 30 years, and he was unforgiving. The heart was the issue, the problem. So God, give us a heart, right? A heart of forgiveness, just like the one that you had for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you get a hold of our hearts today. We have been forgiven. I mean, you have, as the song says, lavished your love on us. Blessed assurance. And the, and the song says that we might be lost in your love. And we, we enjoy all of that vertical love and grace and patience and long-suffering. We don't know where we'd be without it. And we receive it so quickly and readily, but we dish it out so begrudgingly. That is not what should be true of us as followers of Jesus. Quick to forgive. Quick to love. Quick to put it behind us. Father, help us to be like that. To have that kind of heart in all of our relationships because we're family. Please help us to that end, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You are dismissed.